Welcome to Women Crush Wednesday podcast from New York Women in Film and Television, also known as NYWIFT. I'm your host, Janine McGoldrick. I have some sad news to announce today. My former co-host, Margarita Cortez, is stepping away from the podcast. She's going to be working on the advocacy side of the organization. So I want to thank her for all of the great work that she has done to create and grow the podcast over the past year. She certainly will be missed, but we're excited that she's still with the organization and will be helping us do some other great things. Next month, I'll be joined by a new co-host, so you'll have to stay tuned to find out who that will be. Well, I hope that 2020 is treating you well so far. The new year has kicked off with some several news-making events in the world of entertainment, including the much-deserved Oscar win for Parasite. If you haven't seen it, drop everything you're doing and see it now. It's still in theaters, and I think you can stream it on a whole bunch of different platforms. Uh, Recently, there was also the guilty verdict in the Weinstein case and the terrific season finale of one of the best and most unique comedies to have aired on television, The Good Place. Really, guys, that's a way to end a show. Great way to nail the landing. So we're looking forward to a lot of other great, exciting things uh, to happen for the rest of the year. In NYWIFT news, please go to our website, NYWIFT.org, and you can check out the third annual online shorts festival, which is available right now, and also the Writer's Lab for women screenwriters over 40 is open for submissions, so you can check that out. There's a lot of other great updates and contents and some new blog entries on the website, so definitely go. Lots of great information to find out. On the programming side, on March 9th, we have our monthly NYWIFT night out at the Brazen Fox. March 19th is Women Are Funny, a panel at the Upright Citizens Brigade, and it's going to be a conversation with a lot of great women in comedy. These women have successfully produced numerous shows, are writers for late night television shows, have starred in TV and film roles, and they're going to be championing their craft and talking about the fact that women are funny and Probably, I would say, a lot of them even funnier than men out there. Um, Information on our member screening is also available on the website, which will be March 24th. And March 31st is a panel on mental health and career sustainability in the doc world. So that's a really great one. You can get some information as well. So now to lead us on to the new month of March, which is actually Women's History Month, we have a perfectly themed panel discussion entitled The Wrong Kind of Woman taking place this Wednesday on March 4th. What is the wrong kind of woman? Well, you're going to find out because Leah Kearney welcomes actor, screenwriter, and independent filmmaker Naomi McDougal Jones back to the podcast to discuss her new book, The Wrong Kind of Woman, Dismantling the Gods of Hollywood. It's a brutally honest look at the systematic exclusion of women in film, an industry which, as we all know, has a massive cultural influence, and how, in response, women are making space for cinema for their voice to be heard. So you can attend the panel on March 4th, and... 
You can listen to Leah's interview with Naomi right now. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media. Hey, everyone. Leah Kearney here of the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast team. I am so excited to welcome back our guest today to the show. I had the pleasure of interviewing her last spring, and uh, and we've got her back again with new exciting uh, information and a book. So Naomi McDougall-Jones is an award-winning actress, writer, producer, and women in film activist. Her second feature film, the subversive romantic comedy Bite Me, premiered at the CineQuest Film Festival and then in a groundbreaking disruption to the indie film distribution model, embarked on a three-month, 51-screening, 40-city tour. Her TED Talk on the state of women in film went viral, and she is at work on her third feature, which I'm going to talk to her about later. And she's just released her first book, The Wrong Kind of Women, Inside Our Revolution to Dismantle the Gods of Hollywood. Naomi, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me again. Oh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed um, getting to hear all about Bite Me and getting to follow journey of Bite Me on that uh, joyful tour, joyful vampire tour of America. <laughs> um, so inspiring, and I have a lot of questions, but um, I want to start with the book, which just uh, was just released, and um, I picked up my copy just the other day, so I, I have to admit I'm only a few chapters in, but it's already, it's already fantastic and harrowing, I must say. Yeah. Um, it, you have just some I really encourage people to pick up a copy because even if you think you know this information, what what Naomi's doing here in terms of just, you know, shining a light on the systemic um, situation that we find ourselves in is, is really new and um, important. So I thought I'd kick us off by asking, like, what is the wrong kind of woman? What, what is, what, <laughs> <laughs> I certainly uh, can relate to that, but, um, but tell our listeners, like, where did that title come from? What, what's that, what's that well, theme in the book? I mean, basically, I would say like 98% of all women <laughs> are the wrong kind of women, according <laughs> to Hollywood. It's like women who um, have opinions, um, ask for things, uh, <laughs> want to make <laughs> stories. Um, the, the, it, the title came out of the conversations that I kept having in my earliest days as an actress in the industry and sort of like this never ending stream of gatekeepers who would sort of look at me and be like, well, if you could just lose 10 pounds or straighten your teeth or like make your hair less frizzy, or could you just seem a little <laughs> less intelligent or like, like if you could just kind of be like somebody other than who you are, then maybe we would cast you. And as I was interviewing, I did over a hundred interviews with women and men up and down the industry for this book. And that was a recurring theme that I kept hearing women tell me of like, the reasons that they had been told that they were the wrong kind of woman to for to be cast in a film or to direct a film or to write a film. And it was always kind of this like gaslighting by the gatekeepers of like, you're really talented, but if you could just be a different <laughs> person than who you are, then we could hire you. Um, and I think it's a particularly sophisticated form of gaslighting that that keeps us blaming ourselves and kind of continually trying to pretzel ourselves into the kind of woman that they say they would pick. 
It is. And, and one of the things you talk about is how it's become so normalized, right? That like enough of us have come to just think of this as the way it is that, um, that we don't even see to disrupt the, the paradigm we are just trying to, you know, get, get ahead by, um, and that's something I wanted to ask you about is, is you talk about the choice to enforce or reinforce that, those cultural trends or mm-hmm. to disrupt them. And I guess, um, you know, our, our listeners are work in all aspects of the film industry. So, so are there things that we should, can be doing, should be aware of so that we are not, um, reinforcing those, yeah, those unhelpful, unhealthy <laughs> norms. Yes. Um, So all of chapter 10 in the book is an outline of if you are this type of person, these are the actions you can take. If you are this type of person, Mm. these are the actions you can take. Um, But uh, since probably most of the people listening to this are women in the industry, um, I'll I'll give I'll give sort of the short pitch on what those types of people can do. Um, So I think there's sort of two things. One is that we have to. I. We have to start being more radical in our careers and in our storytelling. And I say that because there is this pervasive feeling that like, okay, yes, only a few women are being picked by the system and that sucks. But if I just like kind of keep my head down and work really hard and be really talented and just like, like if I just toe the line, maybe I will get to be one of those women who is picked and like, it's not, and, and. And the, the silence around the, the realities of this issue is continually purchased by that myth, right? Like if you just mm. don't rock the boat and just <laughs> yeah. do what we tell you to do, then maybe you will get picked and you will be given everything you want. And that just is a lie because the reality is there is no woman in Hollywood who has had the career she would have if she were a white man. And that is just, the, I mean, as I began to peel back the layers of data that is the conclusion of the book. Even the mm-hmm. most successful female uh, director or actress in Hollywood would have a bigger and better career if she were a white man. Um, so I, mm-hmm. so I would dare listeners to think radically about how to tell their stories and get their stories made and deliver them to audiences. And that may include the system. If the system works for you, that's great. But Never let the system value get assign value to you or your work because it is not designed to recognize value there. Um, mm. And, you know, whether it means moving into an RV for three months and taking your film directly <laughs> to audiences or whatever that looks like, I would just urge you to be radical towards the notion that you have to find a way to tell your stories and get them to audiences no matter what, that it's actually your civic responsibility to tell your stories, whether or not anybody ever gives you permission to do so. And then I would say, sorry, you, you, no, I just, well, no, when you said civic duty, I just, I just wanted to chime in because one of the, the points that you make early on in the book that I really appreciate was that this is not just good for women. This is good. uh, And by this, I mean, more women telling their stories, um, uh, being, in positions of, you know, control or authority, um, that that's good for everybody. Absolutely. That, that's, you know, that's good for men. <laughs> well, and like, I just, 
I want to pull back to the 30,000 foot view of this situation, because I think we, we get mired in the, in the sort of details and muck of this issue a lot. And, and like this question of like, are women just complaining? Or like, is this actually a thing? Or does this even matter? What are we talking about? And I just want to, so let's just think about the fact that if in the US population, white men are about 30% of the population. If you get into like, are they, are they able-bodied, cis, hetero, uh, that becomes even smaller. But let's just say 30, they're roughly 30% of the population. 95% of the studio films in Hollywood are directed by white men, by, by men, overwhelmingly white men. And 80 to 90% of all of the leading characters in studio films are men, overwhelmingly white men. And of course, that the, the pervasiveness of white men uh, is in writers, uh, producers, um, all the way down the crew list, certainly on screen. And so what we're looking at is an industry in which the perspective of 30% of the population, not that that's an invalid perspective, but it is the perspective of a minority of the population, creates almost ubiquitously all of the images that we have ever seen on screen. And then if you think about the slew of scientific studies that, that demonstrates that the films we watch and television shows we watch affect everything from our career choices to our hobbies, to our relationship status, to our sense of identity, to our feelings about ourselves and other people, to literally our brain chemistry, our neural pathways. <laughs> that is a problem. It's like the fact that 70% of our perspectives are absent from the images that shape our behaviors in the real world is just at a baseline, a really, really messed up thing. Mm -hmm. And, and what, and it means that we can't even see ourselves at this point, except through that perspective. Like it's not just about how do white men look at everybody else? It's about how do we look at ourselves? Because we have also been consuming those uh those perspectives there's um just found it uh the new female tribes uh the study it was the biggest survey of women globally ever it was like eight thousand women across 69 countries and the researchers asked asked them about everything from their religion to their career choices to their uh you know sense of identity and as of 2014 90 percent of women globally wanted to change at least one aspect of their appearance. 81% of 10-year-old girls were afraid of being fat, and only 2% of women globally believed they're beautiful. Those are pretty staggering statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no way that you can disconnect that from the images that we're seeing. Right. Yeah. I, I just, um, yeah, I, when you talked about the, the 30,000 foot view and, and why this is so much more than just um, the, the, the societal impact of this, it's, it's beyond, uh, obviously this affects us all, all on a personal level and it certainly our listeners who are um, members of the film industry, it affects us on a personal or career level, but, right. but yeah, that 30,000 level it, it's affecting everybody <laughs> absolutely and that's why as women in the industry like like ultimately this isn't about whether or not we can get jobs although again as you say that it, that personally affects us like it is it is your responsibility to wider society 
to find a way to tell your stories and get them out there with or without the system. And I, I think what, in a sense, writing this book kind of radicalized my thinking around this issue because like when, and, and I've heard this from many readers who have now read the book is like, when you actually look at the whole situation and sit down and read a book and like actually just in black and white, see what the whole situation is, you realize that you have to radicalize. You have to, you have to find ways around because even with these new initiatives and like, you know, we can talk about the effectiveness of various, you know, quote unquote training programs or, you know, diversity initiatives. But the bottom line is we're at 5% and we're in the industry and we're 51% of the population. So even if these programs, we take them at their face value and say, okay, but they're choosing like five women a year. You Mm. don't get from 5% to 51% in our lifetimes choosing five women a year. So, so, so if that is the only pipeline they're going to build, we got to build our own ship. Like this, there, there will never not be a pipeline problem in our lifetimes unless we, we build things for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I really liked, uh, I mean, I'm really enjoying the book in general, but I liked uh, a little sentence where you said that, you know, girls generally are, you know, when they are encouraged in a profession in the entertainment industry, it's as an actress, when, mm-hmm. whereas boys are encouraged to see themselves as writers, directors, and geniuses, you know, that there is, um, uh, there's just less, uh, less for women to potentially, as Hollywood has been up until now, hopefully we're changing it. But, you know, I know for myself, I came to writing, producing, directing later in my career, only yeah. when I started realizing that there was more that I could do. I wanted to be telling the stories, not just waiting for middling roles that someone yeah. else gave me. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, and and so that's, it, a, that's a story that I hear that I heard over and over and over again as I was doing these interviews and as my own story, like you, you get mm-hmm. told, you, you realize you're a storyteller as a child. They say, great, become an actress. You become an actress. <laughs> then you right. sort of are like, oh shit, I don't want to play the naked corpse for the rest of my life. And then sort of like, <laughs> so, so, so there are so many uh, filmmakers who are women and storytellers who did start off as actresses and sort of went through that evolution. Yeah, I, just on a, a personal side note, I, I remember the one of the very first TV auditions I got was, and I had just gotten my agent, I was really excited, and I, I got, I think it was for, <clears throat> I don't know, one of the law and orders, and it was basically to be a, a, a victim that was found half dead in a closet, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, brutalized, and had no lines, and I turned it down, and it was, yeah. uh, I was afraid that I was ending my career yeah. in that moment yeah. that I, I turned down an audition because I did not want to, you know, have my body and voice yeah. and image just used in that way with, with no substantive story behind it. Right. It was just a plot device. So, right. Anyway. Well, and, and, and that, that's sort of the best case version of that thing. Like that sounds like yeah. it was a paid opportunity and like actually yeah. legit, like, I mean, I've, I've auditioned for roles like that for student films, like where right. I'm, you know, like, in exchange for meals and exposure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do encourage um, people to give this to any, um, I mean, for everyone to read this book, but also to, to pass it along to the, the young ones just coming up because there are so many, um, 
there are so many uh, pitfalls and, and predators out there that, that it's so easy to um, be unaware of if you're, if you're new to the business. So. Yeah. And I, the, I'm working quite aggressively and will continue to, to try to get this book into act and film schools oh, great. because I, I, I believe that we do a grave disservice by, to the women themselves by not having this conversation in acting schools and film schools because they're, I mean, I haven't spoken to anyone who attended a school where this was discussed, where anybody at any point said, hey, you know what? It's going to be way harder for the women here and, <laughs> um, and, and, and anybody who isn't a white man. And not to be discouraging, but to say, like, these are the very real barriers you're going to be up against. And here are some ideas for how you might get around them. Or yeah. might push the envelope and, hey, white men, like, here are the ways that you can be better allies. And I, mm-hmm. and so what happens then is women leave these institutions under the delusion that they will not have any extra problems than their male colleagues and then spend 10 to 30 years sort of working out, going through this process <laughs> of being like, wait a minute, this seems really hard. Is it just me? Maybe I'm not working hard enough. Maybe I'm not mm-hmm. talented enough. And some of us make it out of that evolution and, and sort of like realize what's going on, but it takes decades. And, and I've received already, you know, the book has only been out three weeks, but I've already received emails from women who have written to me and said, you know, I've spent 30 years in this business thinking that I was just not good enough and blaming mm-hmm. myself. And, and like reading this book, I suddenly for the first time understood what I was actually dealing with and, and like, think of the years of pain and shame and hardship that could have been resolved if somebody had just said like, Hey, this is the situation. Here are some tools to deal with it. Yeah. So you can have your eyes open and you can have some choices available. Right. Yeah. Um, I just want to, um, transition a little bit to the, the revolution side of your book. Um, and it, because something that I am very inspired by that, that you're up to is your commitment to transparency mm-hmm. and how, so for, uh, Naomi's last film bite me, which, as I mentioned, um, it, it disrupted the, the typical indie film distribution model by going out on a, on a tour, taking it out into all, all across the U S and, um, creating screenings and events that brought people out and got them involved. And, um, you can, uh, watch the whole tour essentially as a docu-series on YouTube. It's all free and available. But part of that docu-series is you share your numbers, you share them as they're coming in. And then on the, at the end of it, you, um, you wrote a blog post on Seed and Spark and you've been giving presentations. I had the opportunity to go to one just the other night through NYC women filmmakers. And, and you're just very transparent about these, these things that are very opaque in our business that Mm -hmm. nobody is talking about. So I just would love for you to talk a little bit about why that's so important to you and why more of us um, can be following your lead. So I, I have come to understand that the, the opaqueness is how the powerful stay powerful because <laughs> hmm. there's so much commitment in this business to sort of making every, all of this seem like quantum physics level stuff that nobody <laughs> who isn't sort of in the, the ivory 
walls of power could possibly understand. And that just isn't true. Like, it's actually not that complicated. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's hard, right? It's a very hard and ever shifting and sort of wild business, but it's not rocket science. And so to me, as I think about the revolution and I think about like, how do we move towards real transformation and, and full scale transformation that isn't relying on the sort of drip, drip, drip of these, you know, quote unquote, diversity programs. Um, what is going to be required is that the, a, a, the broad swath of non-white men are given access to the tools to do this themselves. Um, and to me, the, key, the two keys of, the, of that puzzle are financing and distribution, right? Because the problem has never meant, been that we don't know how to make movies. We know how mm-hmm. to make movies. We just can't get the, them financed or distributed. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I think distribution is the, is the key, ultimate key because if you solve for distribution, then financing follows pretty easily after. Um, and there's nowhere is there more opaqueness in the business than in distribution. And mm-hmm. And the less that we, sh- we peer-to-peer share that information about what we're each going through and what we're discovering, uh, the less of that there is, the more that they continue to maintain power. But if we can really come together as a community and do the, the really scary and vulnerable thing of, of exposing our numbers and sort of like committing to radical transparency so that we can all learn together, um, like the bottom line is there are more of us. So, mm. so just from a numbers perspective, if, if we can kind of build a new ecosystem together, I think that's a more viable path than waiting for the powerful to turn over their power to us. I just, mm. I don't think that there are many historical examples in any country or industry of the people who have the power and resources and money and prestige willingly ceding that power to other people without like some kind of bloodshed or something you know like and I'm, I'm not advocating for bloodshed I want to be clear but like I just I'm I'm done waiting for them to turn it over I think we have to begin developing viable pathways alternatively and the only way to do that is through radical transparency so i would i would invite other people to join me in that commitment Mm. Uh, well we're almost out of time but i just want to ask you before uh before we wrap up about the your third feature screenplay that you're working on Mm -hmm. i I understand it's magical realism which is a genre that i love Mm. um just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about it and about your process about you know how you go about developing um, your latest, your latest project. Sure. Um, so it's called, uh, the, t- the working title is Hammond Castle. And it's about a seven month pregnant woman who gets locked overnight in a castle full of famous ghosts. Uh, it's a dark <laughs> comedy, um, kind of in the vein of like, um, it's sort of like it's, um, I, we did a reading of it recently and, a, and we had a feedback form and an audience member said it's um, uh, C- Cinderella in Citizen Kane on the set of uh, The Great Gatsby. Ooh. <laughs> and I think that is actually the perfect logline for the film. Wow. Um, so, uh, so it's, I'm so excited about it. It's, it's, it's like bigger and more fantastic and more, uh, more ambitious than than either of my past films. I'm really excited about it, and I have a directing team attached, and I have a producer attached. Oh, um, and the screenplay is is almost 
finished and I mean, I'm on draft 11. So it's like, you know, getting, it's, it's, it's rounding the bend Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, we're sort of now starting to look forward to figuring out how to, how to, how to get it made. It's, it takes place in a, a castle that is actually in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and we have permission to shoot in this castle. Uh, oh, wow. So that's, that's very exciting. That is very exciting. Well, I'm sure everyone will stay tuned for, for uh, updates and, you know, uh, and you can, do so, by the way, uh, by following <laughs> Naomi. That was a nice segue, right? Yeah. Um, Naomi's, uh, you can sign up for her newsletter on her website. Um, is it is Naomi McDougalljones.com and Naomi MJ.com? Is that the same website? It's the same, but we okay. figured that Naomi MJ.com might be easier to remember. Great. Yes. And uh, you can also follow her adventures on Instagram at Naomi MJ. Um, and again, the book is The Wrong Kind of Women, Inside Our Revolution to Dismantle the Gods of Hollywood. It's published by Beacon Press, and it is available as hardcover, ebook, and audiobook wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, Naomi, for joining us back on the Women Crush Wednesday podcast. It is always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Leah.